calling out to the Atascacita community. It's time for your Atascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Atascacita community. It is August 14th, 2021. Welcome to your advanced copy, the notes and news of the Atascacita Branch Library. We've been talking about the expansion of the library for over a year now, and I am happy to report that it is on its way. Yes, some of you may have noticed that there's a trailer that arrived on our property earlier this week. That means that we are starting the process of expanding our library. That includes a new meeting room, some light. We're adding a few windows to our back wall so we can get a little more light into our library. The AV tech room inside the library and a few more parking spaces. We don't have our exact schedule yet, but construction is on its way. As soon as we have information on how this will impact your access to the library, we'll be sure to share it on our social media pages, website, and of course with the podcast. This week, Umble ISD went back to school, and Darla and I decided to get together and talk about some school memories we had of our own. Everything from schools that we went to, to those special teachers that helped us become who we are. Hi, I'm Darla and I'm here with Beth and we're going to talk about school day memories. Yay! So one of my earliest memories about school, and actually I don't know if it's really a memory I had or was something my mother told me, something that kind of defines my personality and Beth will probably laugh when she hears this. I um, went to kindergarten and probably the first week of kindergarten I came home crying because and my mom was really like, what happened? Did somebody say something to you? Did somebody do something to you? And it turns out I had looked ahead in my workbook and there was a math concept that I had not yet learned. And I was upset because I was going into school and had not already learned this concept. <laughs> and I had anxiety about it. My mom was like, you know, you're at school to learn about this. You don't need to know it already. And so, yes, it's the roots of my anxiety. I always feel like I should know more than I know. I worry about everything. And yes, that was the story that when she, when she told me that, I was like, uh, yeah, I can see that. And I have similar memories of my youth. It wasn't anxiety, but it was close to that in which what my brothers knew who were older than me, mm -hmm. I needed to know as well. So if they were doing algebra, I wanted to do algebra. I remember clearly in second grade sitting outside my parents' door as they are quizzing my brother on his spelling words and me writing them out because if he knew it, I needed to know it. So it wasn't really necessarily like I would look ahead in the book, but I'd be listening to what my brothers were doing, that kind of thing. And I don't know if it's like last children, last child syndrome or something. I I, yeah, I agree. I think it is that because my brother and sister were 11 and 12 when I was born. So they were in you know middle school and high school when I started school. Actually, my brother, my kindergarten year was the year my brother's senior year in high school. So yeah, I always felt like I needed to keep up with them from the time I was born. In fact, my mom said other than mama and dada and book, one of my first words, one of the first things, phrases I ever said was, I can do it. I can do it. Because my brother and sister could do all this stuff and I felt like, okay, yes, I, I need to do this. And I wanted to be so much like both of them. 
actually, this just reminded me, keeping up with my, my sister, I, uh, my sister had a, a young man that she dated named Ivan. And when I was a kid, I had a huge crush on Ivan and he was so sweet. He actually, during homecoming, you know, in Texas, we have the big mum thing. And he bought her her mum and he actually went and found somebody who could make a teeny tiny mum for me because I was probably about five or six or maybe younger. And he got me a homecoming mum with all Aww, the little things on there. And flash forward to all these years later, we are like super good friends on Facebook. But that's one of those memories. Like I said, one to keep, I always joke, I said, I stole your boyfriend from you. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of referred to when we were talking about, you know, younger children and keeping up with older children and, and that internal kind of pressure. Because it never really, it never came from my parents. It was all internal. You know, I was in second grade in two different schools. Um, my family moved a lot when I was younger. And I was in the same school for kindergarten and first two different schools for second, another school for third, a different school for fourth and fifth, another school for sixth, and then finally we kind of settled down and I was in junior high for those three years and high school for those three years. So, um, but the thing that I got to experience was so many different ways across the nation of teaching and the scope of Harris County. I mean, it's different from ISD to ISD, from school to school. And it was very interesting because I started, I was in Illinois when I was in fourth grade and we had intermediate school and that was fourth, fifth, and sixth. And in fourth grade, I was in a collection of classrooms and we were working on algebra in fourth grade and, and all these things. And then I moved to Texas in sixth grade. And it was interesting, I remember this quite clearly because I went into sixth grade and they gave me the reading book. And the reading book was three levels behind where I had left. So it's just interesting being able to experience all those different school systems as I was growing up and uh, the impact they had on me as I was going through school. And I had almost the opposite experience because my parents moved a lot when my brother and sister were young, but at a certain point they decided to move to Huffman and I was probably about two or three years old and I started kindergarten in Huffman and I graduated from high school in Huffman. So I, and a lot of people that I started kindergarten with, I graduated with. That is and so beyond my experience. And that was my brother and sister were so used to changing every year. They would change at pretty much schools every year because my parents were young and struggling and they would, um, you know, they, my dad was working his way up the ladder in the fire department. You know, they would move quite often. And so, yeah, they started to settle down when they got into middle school and high school. And, but I had the experience of, you know, I knew all these people and it, there's good things and bad things because like when you go to school with people all these years, I always tell my teens the story of a young man, I'll call him Bob, that's not his real name. You know, things, things follow you when you're in school generationally. And so when he was in elementary school, Bob could, um, he he was rather flatulent. Oh, and, poor Bob. And he was, well, I think it was he, he chose that. Oh. And he became well known for that. He was a, uh, what was the, the, the book called The Fartiste? Oh. Uh, and so in middle school, and I mean, sorry, in elementary school, that was a point of pride that he could do this on cue and everybody would laugh. Well, unfortunately, that reputation preceded him as he went into middle school and high school. And yes, if you are 
the farter in elementary school. When you get to middle school, no one wants to date the farter. And in high school, no one wants to date the farter. And, you know, new people would come to the school district and, and the girls would be like, yeah, stay away from him. He may be on the football team, but, you know. So that poor guy, you know, he was funny. Well, I tell kids, you know, what's funny in elementary school and maybe even in middle school will follow you to high school. So just, you know, maybe not, you know, cultivate talents that um, will not age well as you grow older. Well, mm. the thing is on the other side of that, you have to like let people know, hey, when you're in elementary school, you are not thinking that far oh, ahead. Yes. So don't hold it against somebody yes. who is a certain way in elementary school. You know, hang on to that all the way through middle yes. school and the high school. I mean, you that's kind of like, you've got both of those, but yes. as an elementary student, you're not going like, to think, oh gosh, in high school, I don't want to be known for this. Yeah. But you in don't high think school, that, yeah. you should be able to go, hey, that was elementary school. Yes. We were all kids. We were silly. Who cares? Um, but yeah, no, that's kind was, of an experience that I have not had things yes. that carry through. Yes. And he was, you know, he was a great guy and he was really funny and everything, but I think people just didn't give him a chance because it was such an insular high school. Mm. And it was one of those things. I, my very first boyfriend in sixth grade, Mike O'Brien, some of his friends would joke, and we, boyfriend, we held hands. <gasps> we held hands in the hallways. And that was how far it went. But he had friends that even in high school, I'd walk by and go, it's Mike O'Brien's woman. And I'm like, oh, that's not an insult. I'm like, we were, we ended up being really, really good friends. And it was kind of like, like insular things that happens in schools where people, like I said, go from kindergarten. They hang on to things. They hang on to things. And it's really weird. It's really strange. And, you know, I was a weirdo in elementary. I was a weirdo in middle school. I was, you know, the weirdo nerd kid with these strange little obsessions. And it never seemed, I mean, some, every once in a while something would get to me. But, you know, I had my friends that were similar. You know, we would sit around and talk about Doctor Who in the in the library and you know, we weren't worried about our reputation. One time I was in class reading a book before class and one of the girls actually asked me, why are you reading? And I was like, I have some free time. I, I, you know, but she didn't understand why I would sit there and read in our downtime. You read if you read. I was not really part of any particular group when I grew up. Um, I think I was so generally interested in a lot of things like I wasn't part of the sporty group, but I wasn't really part of any group, though I could like sit down and chat with them and wouldn't feel necessarily like an outsider. I mean, I wasn't the insider, but I also wasn't like cast out. Talking of things that like hang on in, in a slightly, you know, a turn here. One of the thoughts that I was, as we were preparing for this discussion, I what is one thing that really sticks out that I thought was unusual, but then discovered, no, it wasn't unique at all, is when I was in second grade in Alabama, I was in second grade in Alabama and Kentucky, we were learning square dancing, like actual square dancing, not just Cotton Eye Joe, which like followed through entire, all the way up to junior high, and I have no idea why. But it was like the actual calls and learning what those calls meant and like the history of it and all these things. And I'm bringing this up to Darla and the rest of the staff and they're like, oh yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought that was unique. And apparently not so much. So you all had square dancing too. Who knew? But that may be unique to Southern states maybe. I wonder if people, I'll have to ask some of my friends from up North if they, 
if they did the same thing, maybe it's just a Southern thing. So, and yeah, that yeah, we had square dancing and I remember doing, that's how I met Michael Bryan, is he was my square dancing partner. Our school was very cliquish. Mm. It was very much like everybody who played football, you know, was a God among men. And one, one thing that, that I'm still, still salty about is I went to state in journalism. And when you went to state, you were supposed to get a letter jacket and a letter except they only did that for football. And really? So, yes. So guess what? I got my letters. I got a letter in drama because I was in drama for four years. I got a letter in debate because I was in debate for four years. And they gave me my letter for going to state, but no jacket. Aww. And years later, I told that story to uh, the art teacher, my niece's art teacher, because she went to Huffman. And the teacher was like, you know what? I'll petition for you to get a jacket. I said, yeah, at this point, it's a fun story. I really don't need a jacket as an adult. If it was any jacket like my jacket, you didn't really miss out. The sleeves are all sticky and stuff. Yeah, they're they're not that big. But it was one of those points of pride. I was like, hey, I made it this far. And I was only one of two people that year that went to state. I went to state in journalism, and my friend Anna went to state in uh, poetry and prose, I think. And so it was one of those things that was, you know, it was like, but they've apparently corrected that because my niece lettered in in art. So at least they've at least they've learned from their yeah. mistakes. I mean, because I'm like thinking of my high school, and yeah, we had people that that got their jackets for drama and got their jackets for all sorts of different things. I remember lots of different symbols. I um, mine was unusual and not unusual in the sense of only one out there. There were several of us who did this, but because I was a trainer and I was a trainer for football and for gymnastics, and both football and gymnastics went to state my senior year. I got both my letters in gymnastics and football, and I thought that was kind of cheating. I was like, really? I'm just the trainer. And they're like, no, you're part of the team. And I was like, okay then, you say so. I'm not gonna argue. So yeah, I got jacket with the letter and everything. That's awesome. Speaking of schools, because I'm thinking of the letter. Who was, or I guess they're still the uh, mascot. Your high school mascot. We were Freddy the Fighting Falcon. Freddy the Fighting Falcon. See, that's pretty safe. My high school is the Trinity Trojans. Oh, no. And uh, I'll leave it there, but the lettering made me think of that. So one of the things I want to talk about were teachers who believed in me. I was very, very, very lucky that I had some teachers that saw something in me and gave me opportunities. Uh, even from a young age, I had a fourth grade teacher who actually stayed behind and helped me because I had very bad math anxiety. I still kind of have it today. And she would stay behind and help me and teach me relaxation techniques and work with me on my math. Uh, when I got to high school, I was kind of lost because I really I was did UIL poetry and prose and UIL ready writing in middle school. But when the field widened in high school, I was kind of a little bit lost in terms of what I wanted to do and what groups I wanted to join. And Mrs. Kitchell approached me, she was my U.S. history teacher, and said, hey, have you ever thought of debate? And I said, well, I kind of don't know that much about it, but I ended up doing debate for four years. Actually, my last year, my partner was a year ahead of me in school. So my last year, I had a new partner. And we ended up kind of deciding that I would mentor and coach the new people because my new partner dropped out. And then uh, my two drama teachers, Mr. Homan and Mr. Dias, uh, Mr. Homan actually just grabbed me and said, hey, 
you know, would you like to, to help us with this production? And we need somebody to do the uh, spotlight for this play. And I was like, well, okay, show me how to do it and I'll do it. Then he gave me acting opportunities and Mr. Dias came along uh, my junior year and he actually started giving me like directing opportunities and all this kind of stuff that they would actually just say, hey, we think you can do this. Will you do this? And I kept hanging around. My best friend was in journalism and I hung around so much that Miss Hooker, the journalism teacher, was like, so do you want to work on the newspaper? Because we need people. So I had all these people that saw something and actually believed in me. And I started getting involved in this stuff that, like I said, when I was a freshman, I wasn't really sure. And but just throughout my years, I actually was really privileged to have some really awesome teachers that saw things and gave me opportunities. And actually, Miss Ellis from fourth grade gave me the opportunity to direct a play. I just now remember this. She gave me this little Tom Sawyer script and let me direct a play. And it came at a really good time because at the time my sister was getting married. And so I was not getting as much attention at home because everything was about the wedding. And so it was a really neat thing that she figured out that I needed an extra project to do in class. So I feel really, really grateful for all these teachers. And that's as a librarian, I'm kind of hope that I show people different ways they can look at things and ways to discover talents that they didn't know they have or that they've never explored. Sometimes it's the smaller moments. It's the one moment that becomes something that influences your character. And no pressure on teachers, guys. You've got plenty of pressure already. It's just, it's true that there are moments where, as you mentioned, you had so many teachers there that the moment of just acknowledging and saying, this individual is here and I see something in her and let me open up this door for her. So, yeah. I think a lot of them don't realize their impact because little small things like, you know, like to them, it wasn't that big of a deal. They just, he just, Mr. Homan just needed somebody to run the spotlight. So he grabbed me and I really enjoyed doing it. So I think they don't realize that sometimes little things that they do really inspire kids. Mm-hmm. And you come back later and you'll say something to them. Uh, some of them I've, you know, I encountered uh, Mr. Dias years later when I was at UT and told him about some of the things that he had said to me and everything. And he was like, oh, I don't even remember that. I was like, well, I, I remember it. So that's one of those things teachers may not realize the impact they have on kids and years later they'll remember it. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, they, they can be very inspirational. I have a teacher, Ms. Morrow, who I had for seventh and then ninth grade English. And we were working on Shakespeare and I was, I was a Shakespeare fan quite young, but one of the extra credit things we could do was memorize the Queen Mab speech from Romeo and Juliet and then recite it for her. And I memorized that thing just, it was in my core. And I just remember her, it wasn't surprise, it was this part pride, part I knew you could do it kind of thing. I I was never one of those that really stood out. I just went in and I did my work. When I recited it for her and just the smile, I remember so clearly that smile of, I knew you could do it and I'm so proud of you, you know, and I remember it. Ms. Morrow is awesome. She's still around. She's not teaching, of course, because it's many, many years ago, but she is still awesome. So I'll put it that way. I think that's important. I think teachers, a lot of times they notice kids Mm -hmm. and a lot of times they notice kids that aren't being noticed. There are a lot of kids that get a lot of attention because of their behavior, because they do this and that. And, you know, sometimes positive things, sometimes negative things. 
but they have it like just giving you the smile like you did it. Mm-hmm. That made an impact. You remember that all these years later. And I think that sometimes teachers don't realize just that feeling that they give you. Yeah. That makes you feel important. Acknowledge the quiet ones too. <laughs> yes. And most people don't believe it, but I was definitely, that's when I got into high school. I was definitely the quiet one. And I had people that pulled me into things like debate and drama kind of helped me discover that I had this within me. And I always joke because I'm, I am technically an introvert, but I can present as an extrovert, but they recognize that. And, you know, encourage, being able to encourage students and make them feel special and make them feel like they are, you know, part of the community and part of something bigger. Acknowledge that not everyone's going to shine like a star, but they still have something that they can offer and don't make it always the one that can write the best essay that's going to get on the team Mm -hmm. or something, you know, acknowledge different skills and teachers do that. And they're great at that. Cheers to you teachers. Well, thanks to Beth for hanging out with me and talking about all our school memories and catch us on our next episode. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Coffee. Welcome back to Book Clues. Did you guess last week's books? There were two of them that had a theme. Here was the first. Now, my dears, said old Mrs. Rabbit one morning, you may go into the fields or down the lane, but don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. Your father had an accident there. He was put in a pie by Mrs. McGregor. Now some of you may have recognized The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter. The classic tale was published in October of 1902 by Frederick Warren and Company. Here was our second story. When I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. The odds must have been in your favor if you guessed. The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. The Hunger Games came out in 2008, and that series of young adult dystopian novels, of course, made into some very famous movies. The series follows the protagonist Katniss Everdeen, And by the time the 2012 release, the publisher reported over 26 million Hunger Games trilogy books in print, making it the second-ranked most popular series by NPR's poll of the top 100 teen novels in August of 2012. And here's the final book. On the first Monday of the month of April, 1625, the market town of Mung, in which the author of Romance of the Rose was born, appeared to be in a perfect estate of revolution as the Huguenots had just made a second La Rochelle of it. Many citizens, seeing the women flying toward the high street, leaving their children crying at the open doors, hastened to dawn the curious and supporting their somewhat uncertain courage with a musket or a partisan, directed their steps toward the hostelry of the Jolly Miller, before which was gathered, increasing every minute, a compact group, vociferous and full of curiosity. 
Our final book was The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas. This literary work was published as a series, so its publication date is from March to July of 1844. Alexandre Dumas Père, known as Father, meaning the elder Alexandre Dumas. Now, our tie-in that I mentioned earlier is that both Beatrix Potter and Alexandre Dumas were born in July. She was born on July 28th of 1866, and he was born July 24th, 1802. So we had two July authors for our last book clues. Here are this episode's book clues. We'll start with our children's choice first. How does a dinosaur go to school? Does he walk? Does he ride in a busy carpool? Does he drag his long tail? Is he late for the bus? Does he stomp all four feet? Does he make a big fuss? And here's our choice for our young adult. On a morning in mid-April, 1687, the Brigantine Dolphin left the open sea, sailed briskly across the Sound to the wide mouth of the Connecticut River and into Saybrook Harbor. Kit Tyler had been on the forecastle deck since daybreak, standing close to the rail, staring hungrily at the first sight of land for five weeks. There's Connecticut Colony, a voice spoke in her ear. You've come a long way to see it. She looked up, surprised and flattered. On the whole long voyage, the captain's son had spoken scarcely a dozen words to her. She had noticed him often, his thin, wiry figure swinging easily hand over hand up the rigging, his sandy, sun-bleached head bent over a coil of rope. Nathaniel Eaton, first mate, but his mother called him Nat. Now, seeing him so close beside her, she was surprised that, for all he looked so slight, the top of her head barely reached his shoulder. And for our adult book clue, this is maybe called a newer classic, if you will. The tropical rain fell in drenching sheets, hammering the corrugated roof of the clinic building, roaring down the metal gutters, splashing on the ground in a torrent. Roberta Carter sighed and stared out the window. From the clinic, she could hardly see the beach or the ocean beyond, cloaked in low fog. This wasn't what she had expected when she had come to the fishing village of Bahia Anasco on the west coast of Costa Rica to spend two months as a visiting physician. Bobby Carter had expected sun and relaxation after two grueling years of residency in emergency medicine at Michael Reese in Chicago. She had been on Bahia Anasco now for three weeks, and it had rained every day. If you think you know one or all of these book clues, be sure to write in to ata at hcpl.net with your guesses. We have some exciting programs coming up. Now, currently, all our programs are online. We have some crafts to go as well that you can pick up at the library. Some of the programs we have coming up include our story times, which are held on Zoom. We have our craft club online. There's no registration for a craft club, so stop by the library and pick up a kit. Supplies are limited. 
The instructions on how to create the craft is presented in a video that we post through our Facebook and our Instagram pages. We also have our teens getting together to beat the back to school blues. This will be on August 19th. Join them on Discord. You'll need to email in to ataten at hcpl.net to get access to our Discord server. Beat the Back to School Blues helps you vent about your new week, keep your spirits up, and enjoy some fun programming. Program is for teens in grades 6 to 12. That is August 19th at 4.30 p.m. Don't forget to register for The Book Habit. The Book Habit is our tween book club. This month, they are discussing Words on Fire by Jennifer A. Nielsen. This program will be through Zoom, so you'll want to register online through our events calendar. On August 23rd, you will receive a Zoom link to the program and where you can gather together to discuss with the book habit. That's August 23rd at 4 p.m. Be sure to stop by the library to pick up the book to read. You are invited to learn about special collections available to the public at Rice University from rare books dating from the 1500s to local historical maps or oral history interviews. This event is going to happen on August 27th at 2 p.m. You'll want to go ahead and register online so that you can get the Zoom link to this presentation by the head of special collections at the Fondren Library. You can find this as well as more of our online events and listing of our Craft2Go kits on hcpl.net forward slash events. And be sure to search Atascacita Branch Library. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Advanced Copy. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you know the next time a new episode appears. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful day. And congratulations, all you students, on starting a new year. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at fol.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.